As you've all heard these past few weeks, our Serve the World Giving Advent partner this year is Caring Network. Caring Network focuses on ministering to women who are considering abortion and empowers them to consider adoption or parenting. They do this imp important work not from a posture of shame or condemnation, but with grace and love and a true desire to share the love of the one who is the author of life. They provide compassionate and practical resources such as ultrasounds and counseling both before and after birth. And in the case where a woman has experienced an abortion, they also provide post-abortion support and counseling. So let's take a moment now to watch this video and hear more of their story. I think when it comes to pro-life issues, it can feel like it's hard to make an individual difference. Caring Network was started in 1981 by a group of people who came together who really believed in the pro-life cause and wanted to support women who were facing unplanned pregnancies. A lot of times women are looking at abortion not because they want to, but because they feel that that's the only option that they have. In a world where abortion is easily promoted and seen quite a bit out in our culture, um, people aren't always aware that there's an alternative, a place that you can go to where you can receive uh, information, education, and support all in one location. We meet up women with uh, love, compassion, bringing hope um, and support to a woman who is in despair and who is frightened. So how can we help remove some of the obstacles that they're facing, encourage them and come alongside them in choosing life? Caring Network is the first step in helping women who are facing unplanned pregnancies. If women come to Caring Network first, three out of four choose life. If women go to Planned Parenthood first, eight out of a hundred choose life. We want to help women, encourage them towards choosing life um, by removing obstacles. Not only are we able to provide those services, but we're able to meet women with um, additional resources and support to help set her up for long-term success. Free pregnancy tests. We have confidential consultations and counseling for women. Ultrasounds. Um, the ultrasound actually is a window to the womb. It is a wonderful tool that enables um, the, the woman to actually see uh, the child, hear the heartbeat. A lot of times that helps break down some of the barriers or walls that she may have. Um, maybe she's been in denial up to this point and it really helps build that connection between the mom and her child. We love to see women's lives changed um, and babies saved and uh, women are really impacted when they come through the doors of Caring Network. We have a exhaustive database of referrals out in the community. We can connect her with places that will help with things such as housing, material items, parenting classes, prenatal care, those kinds of things. We can just help get her those referrals that will help her long term. I believe that God cares about the weakest, those who are not cared for and valued by a culture. We need to love our neighbor. We need to care for the least. God calls us to care for those who in a society, the society does not value as highly as others. And so I feel passionately that God calls us to this work. 
Our faith is really the backbone of the services that we provide at Caring Network. It is the motivation for why we do what we do, and it really impacts the way that we serve our clients. We have opportunities also to be able to share the gospel and be able to not only talk about life in regards to educating them about the life that's growing inside of them, but also about eternal life. Thousands and thousands of women and their families have been impacted by the work of Caring Network. The job will be done when abortion is no longer happening in our culture. For this to happen, God has to change hearts, but we believe that God can do that. We believe that God can bring about this sort of massive change. I'm just passionate about seeing Christians and churches being disciples, following Jesus, and, and making a difference for life. <laughs> this, um, we're excited uh, again to be telling you and sharing with you the ministry of Caring Network. Um, it's an important ministry, and one of the things that I really appreciate about what they do is the manner in which they um, have a vision to come alongside of women, and oftentimes in very challenging and difficult circumstances. Um, and as followers of Jesus, and, and if our theology says that every man, woman, and child is embedded with the uh, image of our God, and as a result has inherent dignity and worth, eternal value um, because of that, um, we, we should be a people who are finding a way to come alongside those facing these difficult decisions in the midst of these circumstances. And Caring Network does that in a very compassionate and beautiful way. In fact, one of the things I love about what they do is they um, have a ministry that comes alongside of both men and women, actually, who have as a part of their story a past abortion. And, and they do just a work to help them experience, um, to process the grief of that, to come alongside them, experience the grace and forgiveness of our good God. Um, and so throughout the entire spectrum, they seek to uh, come along people in the midst of these um, situations and, and partner with them. And so Tracy, who you saw in the video, she is out in our lobby today. If you have questions about this ministry, ways you can be involved, as you know, we're seeking to raise $250,000 during the Advent season as a church, above and beyond our, our regular giving to help them open up two new centers here in the Chicagoland area. We're asking every Chapel Street family to pray about um, this ministry and then to consider what they might be able to give uh, to help support the work that they do. Right As of right now, we're right around $75,000. Um, we're very, very encouraged by that. Um, and we would love to see that, that goal realized. And so stop by and talk to Tracy uh, on your way out this morning. If you've got questions or you certainly can talk to me, we'd love to share more about the work that, that they're doing. Let's pray, and, and we're going to enter into our text this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we do just um, come before you this morning again um, as we enter into your word. And Lord, we don't, we don't want to take this season for granted. Um, we don't want to go through the motions and the lights and the, and the music and the food and all of it and, and forget ultimately what we're celebrating and why we celebrate, what we're called to remember. So meet us again here in your word and, and in this time of Advent, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I want you to think for a moment 
um, about an experience or a time or what it looks like in your mind um, when somebody is overwhelmed by joy? Like, can you think of like, what does that look like? Like oftentimes at this time of year, you'll see people post like videos on Facebook or wherever else. And it's when some child is opening up a gift that is the very thing that they have wanted more than anything else, right? And, and they're opening up the wrapping presents and they recognize what the wrapping paper, where they recognize what it is that they're getting and they just start to like freak out, right? And, and tear the paper open and scream at the top of their lungs. And the parents usually are posting this because they're like, it's a way of being like, I nailed it this year, right? Like, I got it right. I think when I think about joy, there's one image that comes to mind for me. Um, my daughters, when they were younger, they were all, they participated in our adventure club program at Chapel Street. It happens Wednesday nights, kids well, learn Bible stories and, and memorize. One of the things they encouraged was kids would memorize the books of the Bible. Like my kids can still sing the songs that, that go through the Old Testament books of the Bible. They got it down better than I do. And, uh, and so they would create a little competition between the classes. Like you'd get points for memory, memorizing your memory verses and reciting the books of the Bible and all this sort of thing. And the last adventure club of the year, they would announce like the winner. And this is parents' night. So we're all kind of in the back of the room. The kids are scattered across the room. And typically, the way it would go is that every year, the fourth graders would win because they're the oldest kids and they're just more capable of, of memorizing the passages and doing these things. And so you kind of anticipated what to expect. But one year, there was an upset. And on this particular year, when they came down to announce the winning grade, of, of the memorization contest. Um, and like, you know, this is like true Christian fashion, right? They're like staring at each other with furled brows across the room. They announced who had the most points and this year it was the third graders. And then the third graders just erupt and like, and I see one of my daughters happens to be in third grade this year. She stands up in the middle of the room, Kesslinger campus, you know, kids, parents scattered everywhere and just starts beating her chest like King Kong. <laughs> like this like and i was like that's joy right that's that is what joy looks like this morning we're, we're in our series our advent series that we've entitled songs of the king we've been looking at some of these really classic famous uh christmas carols that we sing every year at this time we've been looking at the prophecies and the passages that that, that both inspired the author, but also informed these lyrics. We've seen how these, these hymns seek to evoke a sense of worship as they point us to not only the coming of the king, but the salvation that came with him. The significance of Jesus taking on flesh and becoming one of us, and it's meant to bring us into a place of worship. And beyond that, I would contend that this season that, that we're in right now, Advent, coming back to the miracle of the incarnation, I would, I would suggest that this is actually really critical to our discipleship. It's actually important for us to return to and be reminded of the work God has done to redeem us, to, to restore us into relationship with him. We come back to it for a reason. Because it's the, the outworking of what he has done there that ultimately continues 
in the process of growing us to be men and women and children and students who are being shaped and formed into the image of Jesus. Like, we need to come back to it. There's a reason why the church long ago made the decision that seasonally we need to come back to the birth of Christ. We need to come back to the incarnation because it's, it's formative in, in our own walk with Jesus. This week, we're going to look at one of the most famous hymns of all time. In fact, I looked it up. Um, it is the second most uh, commonly reproduced Christmas carol of all time, Joy to the World. Anybody know what the first one is? Jingle Bells. Yep. No, Silent Night. Yeah, Chris. is always a smart aleck in the first row, right? Yeah. Um, but what's interesting about Joy to the World, Silent Night's the most, most commonly reproduced, Joy to the World the second most, but what's interesting about this, this hymn that we sing at Christmas every year is that when Isaac Watts wrote it about 1719, he wrote it not so much in view of the incarnation and the first arrival of Christ. He actually wrote it as a reflection on the second coming of Christ. He, he's kind of looking towards, and we'll talk more about this, when Christ returns and restores all things. And so Isaac Watts wrote this, uh, what we know as Joy to the World. He wrote it as a poem that was published in 1719, and it was a meditation on Psalm 98. And that psalm is looking forward to the day when, when Jesus is going to return, when he's going to come and he's going to completely fulfill his role as both king of his church and, and ultimately king of the entire world. So in 1719, this, this meditation on Psalm 98 is written as a poem. It's published in a book. And over 100 years later, the second stanza of that poem is, is adjusted slightly and it's set to music and it's what we now know as the Christmas carol, Joy to the World. And so I want us to just kind of keep in mind this idea of what evokes joy. What produces joy? What does joy look like? What should accomplish that in our lives? I want to turn to Psalm 98, and I want us to look at what inspired Watts to write these words. We're going to use this as somewhat of a framework for just a, a conversation today on the nature of, of joy. This is Psalm 98, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read through the whole psalm, and then we'll, we'll talk a bit about it. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made, known his the Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel, and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horns. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. So in light of that, and you can, you can tell from Psalm 98 what the psalmist has in mind. He, he's looking towards the finality of all things. 
And so Watts reads Psalm 98 and he pins these words. And I just want us to, to process a bit about the nature of joy, beginning with the source or the person of joy. The source or the person of joy. Again, look at the, the lyrics of the very first uh, stanza or verse of Joy to the World. Is that up there? I hope, because I didn't write it down. Is that on the next slide? Yay, okay. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. The reason what evokes joy in Watt's mind is clear and evident. It is the arrival, the coming of the king. He's here, he's with us. One of our, our family traditions, and I know most of you probably have similar traditions in your home, is we love to just make our way during December through a, a variety of different Christmas musics. Like we have our, our favorites. This was like a topic of conversation at a family birthday party. Like what's your top five Christmas movies last night? One of the ones that for us, typically we get, we get in during the season is uh, Elf, right? With Will Ferrell. Is anybody here, any Elf fans? Okay. Not, not alone. And there's this moment in there when um, Buddy the Elf, I can't believe I'm describing this right now. <laughs> Buddy the Elf is, is a, an adult human who was raised as an elf and has now gone to New York City to find his real family. So I'm just catching you up in case you've missed it. And, uh, and at one point in time in this movie, he goes to a mall and this mall manager declares that uh, they're going to have Santa there the next day. Now, I'm not comparing the arrival of Santa with Jesus. This is, I'm not making any allusions there. But what I'm reacting to is in the myth, there's this Buddy the Elf just burst in excitement, burst in joy. Why? Because of arrival and because of presence. In fact, what, what's inherent in that scene is that he spends the rest of the night preparing, getting ready. There is an arrival that's coming. There's a presence that's going to be with us, and it evokes joy. The psalmist, Watts, they're doing very much the same thing. There's a presence here with us. Be joyful. Rejoice. He's here. He's with us. He's come. Psalm 1611 says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? In your presence there is fullness of joy. The experience of joy and the presence of God are inseparably linked. The Apostle John, when he's describing the miracle of the incarnation, what, what, what it is that God is doing that we celebrate at Advent, he says it this way. He says, the word became flesh. This is John 1, 14. And he made his dwelling among us. He came to be present with us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Joy is found in the presence of God because he is our source of joy. This is what Watts identifies at the very beginning of his poem, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Try to place yourselves, if you can, for a moment in the, the heart and mind of somebody living, a Jewish man, woman, or child living in the first century who's been waiting for centuries for this joy, 
for 400 years from the time of the prophet Malachi when he last spoke on behalf of God to the people of Israel to the moment when John the Baptist is declaring, prepare the way. It's been 400 years of silence. 400 years of wondering and waiting, could this be the moment? Is this going to be the time when God's presence is restored with his people and with his presence, our joy? Perhaps this is why every time we see in the biblical narrative the announcement of the arrival of the Messiah, there is this response of joy. In fact, look at this with me. This is in in Luke chapter 1. I just want to give us a, a few examples here. Luke chapter 1, when, when Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, beginning in verse 39, it says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she claimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me and as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Flip over one page to Luke chapter two, a very familiar part of the story, one that we read every year. It says in Luke two verse eight, there were shepherds living out in a field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you. Uh, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger in in Matthew chapter 2. Another famous character in in the scene, the Magi, 2 verse 10, when they saw the star, which the star was the announcement, what they were looking for, the arrival of the king, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, And they bowed down and worshiped him, and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. At at every occasion, when the news of God's presence with his people was announced, there is this expression, this response of joy. The breaking in of God's presence into the human condition, his willingness to, to take on flesh in order to be for us Emmanuel, God with us. This is such an act of unmerited love, right? That when rightly understood, when we, when we understand this, when we perceive it, the only reasonable response to that is joy. His presence evokes joy because he in his person is joy. Dallas Willard, um, who is one of my favorite authors and He describes God this way. He says, undoubtedly, he is the most joyous being in the universe. The abundance of his love and generosity is inseparable from his infinite joy. All of the good and beautiful things from which we occasionally drink tiny droplets of soul-exhilarating joy, God continuously experiences in all their breadth 
and depth and richness. Right? It's who he is. He's come to be present with us. When we see it, when we understand it, when it, when it impacts us, the, the only reasonable response is joy. And so what do we do with this goodness? What do we do with the proclamation that the angels made to the shepherds? How are we to respond to, to the one who is in and of himself our source of joy? Well, Watts writes, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. See, there is always this, this danger, I think, that you and I exist in as, as followers of Jesus. Is that, that we grow too accustomed to or too familiar with the miracle, the, the understanding that God came to be with us. And we settle into this kind of this muted, distracted, cultural celebration of Christmas and oftentimes it evokes for us more a sense of stress and anxiety than it does that of joy. And I would encourage you, I, I think it's important for us, we cannot take this for granted. We can't take this news for granted. God himself, creator and sustainer of the universe, has loved us to the point that he became one of us so that we could be in his presence. If we can hear that, and that fails to move in us a sense of joy, that we, we've somehow missed or we've taken the gospel for granted. It produces in us a sense of joy. It's joy found in his presence. It's a joy that, that no one can take from us. The psalmist says, the Lord has made his salvation known. He's revealed his righteousness to the nations. He is our source of joy. And this, this leads us then to our understanding of, of the power of joy. The power of joy. Almost every year during Advent, for whatever reason, I end up talking about, about Hallmark Christmas movies. Is anybody here a fan of Hallmark Christmas movies? Some of you are lying right now. I know it. <laughs> They are strangely addictive. I don't know how, like, sometimes you're like, well, did I just watch three Hallmark Christmas movies in a row? Like, and it's interesting because other networks have, like, found the, like, secret recipe here, and they're all producing kind of these similar sorts of things. And as much as, as we might find them addictive and there's things and, that you enjoy about them, there is also sort of a disconnect with them, right? And the disconnect is, like, our experience. Like, Every Hallmark Christmas movie works out beautifully. And, and that's so frequently not what life looks like for us. So frequently that, that when, when we think about our own experiences, when we think about our own ideas and our own even around Advent and family and, and conflict and all these different things that we have going on in our lives, loss or grief or whatever it is, this, this idealized version of Christmas versus what you and I live in every day, and there's, there's a disconnect. Look again at, at verses uh, three and four here. Watts writes this. He says, is it up there? There it is. No more let sins and sorrows grow, no, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And then in verse four, he goes on. 
He says he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Do you read this and feel like that's my experience? Do you sing that and feel like, or does it feel a little bit more like a Hallmark Christmas movie? When is the last time you looked around and thought to yourself, you know, sin and sorrows no longer seem to be growing, right? We don't say that. But again, we have to remember what, what Watts is looking forward to. And back in Psalm 98, in verse 8 and 9, he says, Let the river clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. Why? For he comes to judge the earth. He will come and judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. Watts is looking forward. The psalmist is, is looking forward to an a, a, a idea of completion, to when the work is done, to when Jesus comes to earth for a second time. In fact, Jesus makes this same distinction when he is preparing his disciples for what they're going to experience. Because our reality is, for most of us, is that following Jesus in this world is not always marked by our, an overt expression of happiness and our circumstances working out the way that we wish it would. Oftentimes that's not our reality. If you turn to John chapter 16, look at how Jesus prepares his disciples. He says this in verse 20. He says, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. I love the promise of those words. Jesus' words to his disciples describe two realities. He's honest about what they're going to experience in their current reality. He said, it's going to, the world's going to be rejoicing, and while they're rejoicing for you, it, it's going to be marked by grief and, and pain. But he also describes a future reality. And in that future reality, he says, there is, there is the promise of an irrevocable joy. And this is, this is the point that I want to make as we, as we think about this, whether it's from Watts' poem of Joy to the World or Psalm 98 or Jesus' words to his disciple, is that this future reality, this future truth is in, intended to inform and ultimately to transform our current reality. It's the breaking in of the incarnation, the birth of Christ that launched this curse reversing work of God in us. That when we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, I'm no longer, because of what he has done, relationally separated from him. It's the, the, the awareness, the revelation of what was lost when sin entered the picture. God has come to restore, and he's doing that work, and one day he's going to finish it. What we have right here, right now, is not the final result. In fact, we will, and we do, experience in the here and now 
grief and brokenness. We experience the repercussions of, of, of sin. It still impacts us, whether it's on a personal level, when I'm dealing with the ramifications of my own sin in my own life, or if it's on a corporate level when the truth and the reality is that we still live in a world that's, that's broken. And Christ is, is moving and working in the midst of that. So joy, the response of joy for the follower of Jesus is, is an act of defiance. In fact, Bono, the, the lead singer of the band U2, he said joy is always an act of defiance. When we as followers of Jesus, when, when we are a people of joy, it's an act of defiance against a broken world. And it's an awareness of a truth that lies beyond, a promise that is one day to come. And so for now, we don't want to live as a naive people. We don't want to live with, with um, this idealized version of what reality is, but rather we want to live with an informed hope. That's the power of joy. That joy came in the person of Jesus born in a manger. It's the same joy that says he will come again. And when he does, at that time, we'll no longer sing these words as, as a, a partially experienced joy because that came and the desire of the present, but we will sing it in the realized fulfillment of, of what he ultimately came to do. We'll sing it as a promise that's been realized. And then we can together with all the believers throughout history say, no more. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He has come to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. So what do we do until then? How, how do we live in the meantime? And this is the practice of joy. The practice of joy. Do you ever have like a, a particular song that just gets stuck in your head around Christmas time? Literally on the way in, I, I was got in the car pulling in this morning and listening to the radio and they were just talking about Christmas songs that get stuck in your head. And this guy was like, in our family, it's Mary, did you know? Like you get married, like your whole day is like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm not going to sing it because you guys know I can't sing. But for me, it's um, Paul McCartney's So This Is Christmas. Is that McCartney, right? Or Lennon? It's a Beatle. It's definitely a Beatle. And it's weird because it's kind of a depressing Christmas song. And, and I don't know why it's like you hear it on the radio or you're shopping or something like that. But if, that, if I hear that song, that is in there all day. It's like, so this is Christmas. You know, and you just can't get it out. But there's value to repetition. Like there's value to those things that, that get implanted in our head. Look again at verse 2 of, of, this, um, of this poem. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns, let's, let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rock hills and plains, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. This is instructive for us. It's meant to be for us a pattern, a way, a manner, which in we, we ingrain truth in our lives. It's the invitation of, of the psalmist back in Psalm 98. 
when he invites us to, in verse 4, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music, make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram horns. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. We repeat the sounding joy as we live in light of the gift of Jesus. As we live in faith in Him, we wait, as we wait for Him to come again. I want you to remember, I want you to remember three R's. Okay? This is, this is the, the practice of joy in our lives. We repeat, we, we remind ourselves again of, of the truth of God's word. We go back to it again and again. It's why it's one of the objectives of worship. It's meant to ingrain truth in our lives so that we can remember. We repeat in order to remember because we do live in a broken world and because the experience of these things is going to require of us a time when we remember truth so that we can ultimately rejoice. We rejoice. We are to be a people of joy. We allow the promise of the future to define the experience in the present. We, we rejoice together in community. Christians are to be the most seriously joyful people in the world. We take joy in the first advent because we know the promise of the second advent. So I want to conclude our, our time together. I want to read a prayer that was written right around the turn of the millennium, right around um, 1100, I think it was, by Anselm. And so would you pray with me? God of truth, I ask that we may receive what you promise through your truth so that our joy may be complete. Until then, let our minds meditate on it. Let our tongues speak of it. Let our hearts love it. Let our mouths preach it. Let our souls hunger for it. Let our flesh thirst for it. Let our whole being desire it. Until we enter the joy of the Lord, who is God, three in one, blessed forever. Amen.